somebody help me say thank you to everybody, will you? Thank you to all of our, our worship team and prayer team and everybody, tech team. I got one more, uh, got one more announcement. Uh, my, Mrs. Dab said that uh, uh, if you parents needed a break, you could drop your kids off here and they'll take their background check and we'll give them snacks and whatever. I wanted to let you know, ladies, that if you need a break, you can drop your men off here. August the 4th, about 6.30, we'll have a men's meet. Don't worry, we'll have snacks for them. Most of the people will have background checks. <clears throat> you can come pick them up afterwards. We'll have an image about that later, but that's the 1st of August, uh, first weekend in August, anyhow. All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. Oh, good job, 10 o'clock. You guys are knocking it out of the park. Great job. Why are we reading this? Well, because it's the Bible, but also because the book of Revelation has this promise that there is a blessing for everyone who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and for everybody who hears it. So there's a blessing for us if we'll receive it today. How many are going to receive it? And it says there's a blessing for those who, uh, who read it and hear it and take it to heart because, the Scripture says in verse 3, the time is near, which means Revelation is calling us to remember and to live like the time is near, meaning we live with the view of eternity. Living with a view of eternity does at least two things as we read this text. It, it compels us to read the book of Revelation with an urgent response. Would you say that urgent response? We are never meant to wait. We're never meant to read this in a way that we're supposed to wait until it's relevant. We read this with, us, with the understanding that it was meant for us to respond to with faithfulness, with obedience, with fervency and fidelity to Jesus. And also, when we live with the view of uh, living with the view of eternity, causes us to look up. Would you all say, "Look up"? Causes us to look up, and, in, and there's the, the alternative to looking up is to looking down and to, is to stare longingly and, 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 and uh, wastefully into your navel. Navel gazing will produce nothing, but looking up makes sure that we do not allow molehills to become mountains. We, are, we do not allow the, the, uh, the immediate to, to eclipse the important we are people stamped with eternity, and we live like it. We are a stalwart and faithful and robust and joyful and ultimately hope-filled, hope-driven people. And that must be the result of our exploration in this text. Last week, we were in the first part of Revelation chapter 7, and we saw John seeing a great multitude of people, 144,000 people all lined up, all organized, sealed, marked with the seal of God, belonging to God. This is the church militant. They are lined up, sealed by the Spirit, and they are persevering, and they are faithful, and they are praying during what we recognize as a season, as a tribulation. They are doing so until, somebody say, until. And they are, they are lined up and they are living faithfully for Jesus until now verse 9. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. And then verse 9 picks up with this word, after this. Ah, what's that mean? We see after this, that means an, uh, the, the image has changed. John is seeing a fresh vision. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Let's not overlook 
this one statement. So far in Revelation, John has done a pretty good job of at least trying to count. Even if the numbers are really big, he'll say thousands and thousands, or well, we started with we started with four living creatures, and then we had, you know, 24 elders, and right? Then we had then we had you're right, you're right, see right, DJ is remembering. We've had all these things. Then we had myriads of angels and you know, ten thousand times ten thousand. Last week was we had 144,000, not 144,000 to one, not 139,000, but 144,000. John, all these numbers. But now he's given up. What he sees today, you can't count. Why is he so odd, sweetheart? Well, he's just, he's drinking coffee. Listen, what he sees now, he can't count. Somebody say he can't count. He can't count. And I, for, now, Pastor Jay is right now counting how many are in the 10 a.m., but pretty soon it's going to be hard for him to count. How many people? It'll be hard to count. Why? Because this is what's in God's heart. He doesn't, God's not a minimalist. Oh, I wish somebody would help me preach this right now. See, God's not a minimalist. It's not just us four and no more. He's not satisfied with just a little bit. He wants his house full. He wants heaven full. And God's vision in heaven is that there are so many people, you can't count them. And they are from every nation. From every nation. Somebody say every nation. Every nation. I can't help it. I'm going to give you the spoiler alert. Every nation. You remember one of the first times we hear the word every nation in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 28 of the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go ye therefore, right, make disciples of every nation. It's pos ethnos. So the target, the goal, the starting line is Matthew 28, and the, and the focus is every nation. But now in Revelation, we have the, and the, the finish line is we see people from every nation. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, and they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. What's the deal with that? What's the deal with the robes and the branches? They are clothed with white robes, meaning that there's something. This is the, this is the paraphernalia of those who have triumphed. Palm branches are signify triumph. You may say, what in the world is that about? Well, here's the deal. It, we, historically, it goes back to, the, to the, when the, uh, the, the army from the north, the Syrian army, uh, came in and uh, invaded from the north after the time of Alexander the Great, and they... They came in from the north and they oppressed, they, they sought to eradicate every trace of Judaism and force Hellenism upon the Holy Land and, the, and Israel. And they came and they took over violently, horribly, and they took over the temple and they committed abominations in the temple and they oppressed the people until the house of Maccabee said, we've had all we can stand and we can't stand no more. And they popped their spinach and away they went. And if you don't understand that, then you're missing out on a whole lot of joy. <laughs> All right, Kate. Uh, so anyway, and the, so the house of Maccabee, they come in and they overthrow. They throw out the oppressors. They take the temple back. And that's the great story of the, even though the story of, of a Hanukkah and the, and the lamps and the doesn't burn out and the dreidel, 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 all of this is happening and they, when, they, when, they, when, they, when they retake the temple, they celebrate their triumph with, by waving palm branches. They reenact that, that, that festival from Exodus, and they wave palm branches in triumph. And that's so important in that day that the coins minted in that day actually had palms stamped, imprinted on the coins to commemorate their victory. Palm branches are this symbol of triumph. <laughs> symbol of triumph. <laughs> 
And so that you understand, so we understand uh, on, the, on the triumphal entry, Jesus comes in, minding his own business, riding a, riding, riding a donkey and the coal with him, and they're coming, he's coming down the mountain, and everybody loses their minds and begins waving palm branches because they are anticipating triumph. And that's why the Sadducees lose their minds, thinking, oh no, it's going down now. But it wasn't going down yet. It was, it was, it was anticipating this. And in this vision, they are waving palm branches. This is a sea of saints celebrating victory. This is the church triumphant. Verse 10, and they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and under the Lamb. They are celebrating salvation, and they are recognizing that salvation comes from the Lord. It's his idea. He hath worked it. He is trustworthy and he is praiseworthy. And then verse 11, all the angels, here we go again, starts off with the saints. Now all the angels are standing around the throne and around the, and, and, and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be unto our God forever and ever Amen. That is the sevenfold doxology on purpose. It's an expression of perfect praise to a perfect God who has worked perfect salvation. Then verse 13, one of the elders asked me, uh, these in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? The, it wasn't that the elder was confused. He is using an, a rhetorical uh, engagement that, that, that sages, Jewish sages would do with their students. You ask a student a question, and, this, and in, in, all, well, in all probability, the student has no idea what the answer is. But that's the point. The question is to provoke curiosity in the student and to inform the student that the answer is significant. So this is what the elder, he says, who are these? And John says, sir, uh, you know, which means I don't. You know when my, and yet we should tell the kids this, babe, parenthetically, everybody just talk amongst yourselves. You know in the Davenport house, we say, I don't know is not an answer. I should tell them that they, they can say, well, dad, you know, they can say that instead. So wouldn't that be good? Uh, we're, we had, there's a split decision on that. We'll come back. <laughs> well, nope. Sorry. Okay. Come back. Uh, uh, sorry. He says, sir, you know, and he said, and listen, this is the answer. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. This is the fulcrum really for understanding the whole passage, for us to get a good grasp, for us to feel who this is. Because if, when, when we feel, when we have a certain confidence about who this is, it is going to stir, it's going to provoke really great hope in our lives. And let me just share an additional piece of information when it, when it comes to understanding. The, the, I believe the text in Revelation helps us understand who this is. But even John's audience, if you can bear with me for a moment, I believe John's original audience that this vision may not have been brand new to them. It could very well have been that there is, there, there is in the in deuterocanonical literature, in the pseudepigraphal texts, there, are, there, is a, there is a book called Second Esdras, Second Ezra, part of it we are pretty sure was written centuries before Christ. Some of it might have been, had additions post-Christian, but if it was post-Christian, it was very, very early in the first century. 
And so if, so if it was written before the time of Christ, then we know that the Holy Spirit is breathing on people and they're seeing some stuff. If it is written even during the first century, at least it tells us how, how people would have understood who this great crowd is. Listen to this in 2 Ezra chapter 2, verses, verse 42. I, Ezra, that's why we call it Pseudepigrapha. It's a name. He's claiming to be Ezra. We're not sure if it was, but if it was, that's even way cooler. But I, Ezra, saw an enormous crowd on Mount Zion. Too many people to count. They were all singing and praising God. So far, sounds familiar. Standing in the middle of the crowd was a very tall young man, taller than any of the others. He was placing a crown on the head of each person, and he towered above them all. I was spellbound by the sight, and I asked the angel, who are these people, sir? He replied, these are people who have taken off their mortal robes and have put on immortal robes. Helps us understand the idea of a robe here is not just a, it's not a, it's not necessarily a unique dress. It is it is speaking of immort- our our physical bodies and our eternal bodies. They have taken off. Aren't you glad? We need to stop right now and say, Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for this promise that everybody, all of us, that one day, some of us have, some of us as loft people, but understand this: it's just taking off one robe and putting on another. Come on, you know who I'm talking to this morning. You have lost some people. And it's a tremendous loss in your heart, but you need to remember this. They've taken off one robe so they can put on another. They have confessed their faith in God, and now they are being given crowns and palm branches as symbols of their victory. <laughs> I asked the angel, well, who's the, who's the young man who's putting crowns on their heads and giving them palms? Who's the one passing out the victory? Where, from whence does the victory come? From whom? Verse 7, verse 47, he is the son of God. Imagine if this was written before. I mean, wow, he is the son of God, the angel replied. And all these people confessed their faith in him while they lived on the earth. Then I began to praise those who had stood before the Lord so bravely. And the angel said to me, go tell my people what you have seen, the many marvelous wonders of the Lord. We understand then, not only from the text of Revelation, but from supporting and perhaps concurrent texts, who are these around the throne? These are those who have washed their robes, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They have given their lives in trust in his sacrifice on their behalf. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And these, the, the elder said, these are those who are, who are coming out of, it's a present participle, who are coming out of the great tribulation. Well, wait a minute. What does he mean by great tribulation? What is that? What tribulation does he mean? It's all in the text. John probably remembers and looks back to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it's, where, where it's written in Daniel. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands uh, guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress. Somebody say distress. Such has never occurred since there was a nation uh, until that time. And at that time, your people... Everyone who is found written in the book. Uh Uh-oh. Someone say written in the book. 
It's just not going to be the last time we hear about the book. It's not the first time we heard about it either. But written in the book, will be rescued. If your name is in the book, you will be saved. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Here, Daniel was told that there would be a time of great distress, which is what tribulation means. And then after that time, it would be followed by a final and everlasting judgment. This is also spoken of by Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels. We've read from the book of Mark before, but listen to it again in the book of Matthew, Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be a great tribulation, a great distress, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now or ever will. And these around the throne are coming out of this great tribulation. When does that happen? When does that happen? It happens when the four seals are opened. It happens after the death and resurrection of Christ, after the lion has overcome, after the lamb has been slain. John said it was, <laughs> John said it was happening as he wrote this down. This is why, yeah, this is why you cannot read the book of Revelation and wonder when it's going to become relevant. CNN doesn't make Revelation relevant. It was relevant when it was written. Listen to what John says. In John, listen, Revelation 1 verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker. Fellow partaker means we're eating this at the same time. Fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. You know what tribulation means? The word tribulation means pressure. It means pressure. Anybody ever felt pressure? It means compression or distress or affliction or anguish or trouble. Has anybody ever felt any of that? It is translated particularly in Revelation but with the word tribulation, but it is the same word with the same meaning all throughout the New Testament. You know where else this word tribulation is used? It's used in Matthew. It's used in Mark. It's used in John. It's used in Acts. Well, it's used in Romans. It's used in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's used in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. It's used in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. It's used in Hebrews and in James. Turns out that tribulation has been happening. It is happening, and it will continue to happen until. Until when? Well, listen, this thing has had to have been happening for a long time if a multitude that cannot be counted is coming out of it. That takes more than a week. Long time. It lasts until when? Listen, until the sixth seal is broken. Do you remember the language of the sixth seal? How the heavens are rolled back? And all this cataclysmic description in the sixth seal, well, Jesus says the same thing, Matthew 24, 29. Listen, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will, will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man, the son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So according to what we read, the kind of tribulation referred to in Revelation happens in the age of the church. It is after the resurrection of Christ. It is before the return of Christ. And, and, the act, and it, it, 
the, and it's, it's happening while the redeemed of the Lord are sealed and lined up for conflict during all of it. And it happens until Jesus comes. Do you know what that means? It is happening now. Why is that important? Because it reminds us that Jesus Christ is coming. Yes. Hear me, my friends. He is coming, and he can come at any time. If you read this book with any other unction or understanding, if you think, ah, it's not until, the, I know there's 14 other boxes to click before Jesus comes, you're missing it. Or if you're like, oh, he's not coming for a long time, I'm going to take me a nap. Listen, I've read, I read a couple of parables about that, and you ought not do it. Even so, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is the only cry from the heart of the redeemed is, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the bride say, come. I know that's a few months away. I mean, that's at the end of the book when we get there. We won't get there until after Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll be here for a while. But not only... Is this the assurance of Christ's return? We, not only do we understand that we persevere until we are met with this message of incredible hope for those who do. Listen to, again, verse 15. They, these that have come out, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Listen to this. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is the church triumphant. This is the great hope of those who are sealed and waiting and persevering. That they and we, regardless if we die here or if Christ returns, we will live in his presence forever before his throne, sheltered by his very presence. We will hunger no more. We will thirst no more. We will not experience harsh elements or oppression or lack. The Lamb of God will be our shepherd. He will guide us to the springs of life. And the last sentence may be the most precious of all. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And before we celebrate that too much, to magnify how much that should be celebrated, we must consider the alternative. There are only two options with regard to tears. Either God will wipe every tear from their eyes or as repeated seven times in the New Testament, here's one example, Matthew 13, 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Hey, parenthetically, guess what? There will come a time when he will eradicate even the cause of sin. Verse 42, they will throw them into blazing furnace while there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. On one hand, we have a place of weeping, and on, another, on the other hand, we have a place where God 
will wipe every tear from their eyes. For those sealed, for those who trust in the Lamb, those who overcome because of their faith in Christ, listen to me say it again, God will wipe every tear from your eyes. This is our triumph. This is the comfort of the Lord. Every prayer we have prayed in desperation, every song of faith we sang through doubt and fear, in the end we will see that it is worth it when God wipes away every tear. Every regret wiped away. Every hurt wiped away. Every loss, every pain. The only thing that will be left is the entering into the boundless and eternal joy of the Lord. This is the church triumphant. This is the church triumphant. This was, this was their hope and this is yours. This was their hope, and this is yours. Listen, friends, there's only three ways you can read this text. Only three ways you can read the book of Revelation. You can read it with hubris, you can read it with nihilism, or you can read it with hope. You can read it with hubris saying, only we matter. Only we matter. I watched, I watched that guy on YouTube say that nothing mattered until now. Nothing mattered until now. Only we matter. Only what's in front of us, only, what, what, only, only the stuff going on in front of us matters. That's reading it with hubris. Or you can read it with nihilism. It's essentially remembering that, you know what, this thing has been, this thing has been here for 2,000 years. It's been, you know what, you know who else read this? People in the second century. People in the third century. People, you know what, when Rome was falling, they were reading this. During the, during the medieval times for a 1,000 years of the Dark Ages from the 5th century to the 15th century, they were reading this. When Islam was spreading throughout the continent, they were reading this. During the Renaissance, they were reading this. During the Reformation, reading this. When the whole world exploded into war, they were reading this. And when it happened again, they were reading this. They were reading it during the Cold War. They were reading it during Vietnam. They were reading it during all the stuff. All the desert stuff, they're reading this. So we can read it thinking that only we matter. Or we can read it thinking that nothing matters. Or we can read it correctly, and that is understanding that everything matters. When we read the text with hope, we understand that everything matters. Every prayer, every act of obedience, every sacrifice, every decision you make to follow Jesus. I have to follow, you, you decide to follow Jesus one step at a time, and it takes one step at a time. And every, so every day, every decade, every sacrifice, every loss, every hardship, everything that you haven't understood, every glory, every victory, what we stand is, what we understand is we read this and we understand that it is all worth it. This is our hope. This is the hope that Paul speaks of in, in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. When about first 15 or 16, he starts praying for him. He says, I pray that God will fill you with a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that he would, that he would flood your hearts 
with understanding so that your eyes would be open so that you would see this. The first thing he prays, so that you would see the hope to which you have been called. This is that hope. You are a people stamped with eternity. This is that hope. Rescued, redeemed with the Lord forever, with every tear wiped away forever. This is that hope. Now we understand what Paul means when he says, therefore, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, 12, where Paul says this, he says, therefore, since we have such a hope. Would somebody say such a hope? Oh, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. This hope changes the way we live now. This hope changes the way we live now. The sight of our hope comforts us. It strengthens us. It frees us. It moves us. It gives us courage. It gives us confidence. We live now boldly as the church militant because we will live forever as the church triumphant. And this hope sustains us. Let me say it again, friends. This hope sustains us. This hope sustains us through tragic loss. This hope sustains us through even long roads of hardship. This, road, this hope sustains us through the endless grind. And this hope accompanies us in bursts of glory. Because we are a people stamped with eternity. Not trapped by the temporary. And so my prayer our prayer should be that like Paul prayed in the, in the book of Romans chapter 15 and 13 when it says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God's desire, his plan for you to overflow with hope. This is how we live and overcome this life. Through the direct influence of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who brings to bear upon us the assurance and the influence of the age to come. So our prayer this morning is, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fall freshly on us and fill us today that by your power, the God of all hope would cause us to overflow with hope. Could I ask you just to bow your heads across this house with me right now? I want you to feel free just to be honest before the Lord. There's no shame at all. There's no, it's all, it's all good. This is there's a reason why Paul wanted to pray for them to be filled with hope. It's because he, he knows we need it. And we knows that sometimes hope leaks. We need the ministry of the Spirit to remind us and to renew us.
to refresh us. Is there anybody here who feels like hope's been leaking a little bit? You've been going through it. Would you just be honest enough before the Lord just to hoist your hand? I see you right now. Just hoist it up. My hope's leaked a little bit. I've been going through it. Would you lift a hand right where you are? Been going through it. Pressure or trouble, the grind. Would you all stand to your feet right now, please? We want to pray for you this morning, friends. If you feel like you've been going through it, that hope's been leaking a little bit, and I mean this in whatever degree, it may, be a, it may, just, it may just be wearisome, it may be challenging, or it may be a big deal. It doesn't matter. God wants to meet you with his spirit today and minister the hope of heaven to you to refuel, renew your hope. Could I ask you, if that's you, would you would like prayer? Would you, if you'd like prayer this morning, would you come, come now and join me here at the front? Don't hesitate, please. We want to pray uh, as soon as we can. We want to agree with you. Would you come? Just find a place right here at the front. Don't hesitate. Just say, pardon me, excuse me. If you do, you'll give somebody else courage to say, yeah, that's me. I want to be honest. Come on here down at the front. And if I could have my prayer workers come and face these that are coming. And let's just spend a few moments asking the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do. Come on.
Lord, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus for the ministry of your spirit in this place. Ministering hope, Lord. Bringing the assurance and the influence of heaven to upon our hearts today. We give you thanks for this. Friends, I'm going to let folks continue to wait upon the Lord and pray. If you'd like to wait in God's presence, you certainly may. Otherwise, would you go today filled with the hope of heaven and live like it? God bless you.